following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Morning, church. Happy New Year. Yeah, great. <laughs> That is amazing. Uh, If you're new around here, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm really thankful that you are with us. Uh, We're going to be in Romans chapter 8 today, so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 8. Next week, we will be back in the book of Acts. Uh, That'll be kind of our third section, uh, if you will, the last section of the book of Acts, which will carry us all the way up till Easter. Uh, But today, we are in Romans 8. It felt like the Lord uh, wanted us to focus on this most important passage. I mean, it's, it's one of the pinnacle passages in all the Bible, and uh, I hope that I do it justice today. Um, many, in the turn of a new year, want to make changes, right? Uh, some of us want to lose a little weight, or a lot, in my case. Some of us um, want to work out. We want to eat better. We want to get out of debt. Um, any of you make actual New Year's resolutions? Okay. I, I don't. Uh, statistically, those who make New Year's resolutions uh, about a quarter of them don't make it through the end of the week, but at least they tried, right? Um, uh, six months is about the average. Like most people don't make it past six months. I think it's about half of people who make resolutions make it to six months. Uh, if you do that, gr- good on you. Uh, if not, I always say welcome to mediocrity because uh, that's kind of how the rest of us live. But uh, I'm not big on resolutions, but I am big on decisions because who we become is shaped by the choices that we make. Uh, And it's mostly those everyday, small, seemingly insignificant uh, choices and decisions that actually shape us. It's not the big decisions as much as those little ones that we just make every day and don't really think about. Um, I have a buddy in in Nashville. He's a pastor. His name is Jeremy. And he's used this phrase that I have on the screen here, fight the drift, uh, as sort of a mantra for Uh, the church that he pastors. And twice a year, every year, uh, he preaches the same sermon and, and encourages his people to fight the drift, the drift away from Christ, the drift into complacency, right? Because we all know that we don't become more healthy and holy by osmosis. That is not a spiritual gift, Right? We don't drift into health. We don't drift into holiness. Uh, those are things we have to fight for. We have to actually be intentional about. I want you, all of you, to be able to look back on 2022 with joy and with gratitude. Not because you lost weight or ate better or worked out a bunch or got out of debt. It, it, even if you do those things, Praise God for that. But that's not why I want you to have joy and gratitude. I want you to have joy and gratitude because you decided to walk in daily dependence upon the Lord, maybe for the first time in your life. And in so doing, you experienced all the things that we're going to look at in today's passage, Romans chapter 8. Good? All right. So let me read it. Uh, We're going to look at the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 8, and then I'll pray for us, and uh, we'll jump in. I think I don't want to count my eggs before they hatch, but it might be a good one. Here we go. Romans chapter 8. There is, therefore, now no 
condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for another year of life. We are grateful even through all the struggle and turmoil and tension of the last two years, really, um, to have another trip around the sun. Uh, We are uh, your people who belong to you, who are loved by you, who are cared for deeply by you. And I pray, uh, Jesus, that in this moment as we look at what is probably a very familiar passage to many, um, that you would speak truth to us, that you'd speak words of life to us, um, that you, Holy Spirit, would help us to understand what it means to walk in dependence upon you, that even now you would make these words come alive in our hearts, and uh, that this year would be uh, a benchmark year in our lives because we decided to, to depend on you, to walk with you, and through trial and tribulation and failure and and stumbling, we stumble forward into more and more of your grace. So Lord, be glorified uh, in this passage and uh, help us to hear and not just hear, uh, not just be hearers, but be doers of your word for your glory and for our good. We pray these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. There is therefore now No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That might be the best verse in the whole Bible, (laughs) right? It's the gospel in one verse. Is there any better way to start 2022 than with no condemnation in Christ? In our culture of blaming and shaming and condemning and canceling, who doesn't need this? Now look, we all have a past, and many of us still carry degrees of guilt and shame over our foolishness and our failures. Many of us feel some level of anxiety deep down because 
we can't seem to get our act together. Right? Year after year, we, we set out new goals and new patterns and new habits, and year after year, we find ourselves kind of in the same place we were before, wondering, what is wrong with me? Why can't I get my act together? But, beloved, I need you to see, that's why Romans 8 is in the Bible. It is good news for crazies like us who cannot seem to get our act together and tend to shrink the grace of God. So if you're a note taker, my first point I want you to write down is this. Uh, It's about Jesus' work for us. This is where everything has to start. Jesus' work for us. For those of us who have turned all of our crazy over to Jesus, there is now, therefore, no condemnation. Not now, not ever. He doesn't say there's only a little condemnation. He doesn't say, well, there's not any condemnation for now. He says, there's no, there will not ever be any condemnation for you or for me in Christ. And that is good news. Now, I went onto thesaurus.com and I typed in the word condemnation because I wanted to see what are the antonyms to condemnation. If there is no condemnation for us in Christ, what is there? And here's what I found. The antonym to condemnation, antonyms to uh, condemnation are these. Acquittal, approval, endorsement, praise, freeing. Those are ours in Christ Jesus. That's why, actually, in verse 2, he says, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free (laughs) in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. How is that possible? How are we freed? How is there no condemnation? Because at the cross, Jesus was condemned for us. Um. We used to, we don't sing it that much anymore, but we used to sing uh, this hymn a lot around here. Uh, Hallelujah, what a Savior. You know that song? It starts with, um, or it doesn't start, but one of, the, one of the verses says, Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Um, what's, the, what's that next line? Something by his blood. Anyway, and then it says, Hallelujah, what a Savior. See, law-keeping, when Paul says here, he's using the word law, but he's using it in two kind of senses. Um, But when he says in verse 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, he means God's law. And and law-keeping, according to the Old Testament, was all or nothing. There's 613 commands, and uh, if you broke one, you broke them all. And so it was an all-or-nothing proposition, which is why uh, everyone sort of covered over, right? They would pretend as though they had achieved everything when, in fact, uh, they hadn't. Paul kind of gets at this. Um, if I had time, we'd go back to the context, right? So chapter 8 happens, shocker, after chapter 6 and 7. And in chapter 6 and 7 of Romans, Paul talks about this, about the law and the relationship of the law with the believer. And he's like, well, now that you're in Christ, you're dead to the law. And it's not that the law is bad, the law is good, but the law can't save you. 
The law can only show you your need to be changed, but the law has no power to produce change in you. Right? So a very easy example that all of us understand here is speed limits. There is a posted speed limit that is the law. Does that actually make you? Does that have any power? Does that little black and white sign on the side of the road have any power to make you obey it? No. And most of us don't. And then we're shocked when we get a speeding ticket. (laughs) I can't believe he got me. Everyone else, yep, did you break the law? Yes, you did. So the law shows us our need, but it can't provide the solution. That's what all of Romans sort of 6 and 7 is about. And and Paul, in chapter 7, he gets to this place where he, he has this moment, which we've all experienced, which is that sort of what's wrong with me moment, right? He's like, I don't do the things that I respect, and I end up doing the things that I, that I hate. Who will save me from me? He says, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, right? Jesus is the one who saves us. So God sends Jesus in human flesh, in all its frailty, which means Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be you. With all your weakness and all your temptation. Because he, took, he was 100% human while being 100% God. So he experienced all of what we experience in our humanness. And he didn't just come to die for us. He came to live for us. He came to fulfill every righteous requirement of God's law in our place. 100% human, tempted in every way that we're tempted, but without sin. He was perfect. He was sinless. He was holy. He was the perfect specimen of what a human is supposed to be. And he did it because you and I cannot. And then at the cross, God condemned Our sin, our failure to live up to God's law, our failure to meet God's standard, God condemned our sin in condemning Jesus. In other words, Jesus owned our sin and failure as if it was his. And on the cross, when his arms were outstretched and the crown of thorns was pressed on him and he cried out, it is finished, he meant it. The penalty for sin was paid in full so that now and forevermore for those who are in Christ, who have surrendered their lives to Christ, there is no condemnation. There is nothing for us to fear. And on the third day, Jesus returned that grave like a red box video rental. It's the best thing I could think of. And you and I are now so united with Christ that the Bible says we are in him. We are in Christ. Jesus in uh, John 15 talks about, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. We are in, we are connected to him so that God's power flows from him into us through the power of the Holy Spirit, enabling us to live our lives like Christ. That's why he says in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us because we are now empowered by the Spirit of God to live lives like Jesus, to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law like Jesus. This is 
everything. This is where we start. This is where we stand. This is where we stay. Not what God demands from us, but what God has done for us. That is how we fight the drift. It's by the work that Jesus has done for us. Amen? But that's not all. He's going to go on. Look with me at verse 5. I'm just going to reread these verses. I feel good about this. You guys, this this passage is so good. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh. So you see in verse 4 there, he said, we're, we're, we're now walking not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we have the Spirit within us. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. But those who are in the flesh cannot please God. All right, so my my second point here is the battle within us. The battle within us. How is it that we actually change? That's a question we need to be asking. How do we get better? Because none of us have achieved sinless perfection. We all know we need to grow. We all know we need, there are things that need to die in us. There are things that need to come, be brought more to life in us. How does that happen? How do we do it? Well, he gives us two things. By grace, not by law. By the spirit, not by the flesh. Romans mentions the Holy Spirit of God more than any other place in all the Bible. In fact, Romans chapter 8 itself, if I'm not mistaken, is, has the most concentration of mentions of the Holy Spirit in all the Bible. 21 times in Romans chapter 8, Paul mentions the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some of us get a little nervous when we start talking about the Holy Spirit because of people we know or experiences that we've had, um, and, and that's fair, but some of us have, have sort of gone so far in the other direction from what we've seen. I remember, like as a child, I have um, an aunt and an uncle. He, my uncle was a fireman who had an injury, retired. They traveled the country in an RV for a couple years, and then uh, he became a, a Methodist minister. But before that, they kind of did salad bar everything. So I went to a Pentecostal church with them before, and I saw my aunt dancing up and down the aisles with a tambourine throwing holy water out. And I was like, I am eight years old. What are you doing? I went to Sunday school with them that day. I was not a believer, didn't grow up in church. I'm eight years old. I'm at this church. We're doing Sunday school. And the the guy leading Sunday school was like, Brian, would you like to pray? And I was like, no. Like it's so, okay. So I saw crazy stuff. Um, Went to four square churches with them, all this other stuff. It was wacky. But Um, some of us have run in the other direction to the point where our Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Okay, so he is not called the weird, crazy uncle spirit. He's called the Holy Spirit, which means he brings the holiness of God into our lives. 
is the holiness of God something we need to be guarded against in our lives? Is the, whole, is, is the holiness of God in our lives gaining too much traction? <laughs> okay, so I wonder how many of us in the room or watching online have ever said to God, I open my heart to your Holy Spirit. Why not? Why not today? So there's a contrast through the rest of this chapter between the flesh and the spirit. It is a battle that is currently taking place inside the heart of every true believer in Jesus Christ. Now, flesh does not just mean the meat on our bones. It doesn't even just mean our physical bodies. Um, Flesh really has to do with, uh, my friend Ray put it best, natural born us. Right? Um, Nice, everyday, well-meaning us. But pinned down by excuses, by um, fatigue, uh, by, by weariness that, 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 you know, especially the last kind of two years has, has brought upon us, by complacency, by selfishness, all of which comes as naturally to you and I as breathing, which shows us that our problems are deeper than just the choices that we make. And one of the marks of the flesh is, according to the scripture here, is that it refuses to submit to God's authority or rely on God's mercy. And oddly, you can be in the flesh and look very, very good or very, very bad. Because it's not so much about behavior as much as that internal sense of the heart. Am I open to God or am I stiff-arming God? Am I leaning on Jesus as my Savior or am I trying to be my own Savior? Okay? Spirit, flesh. The flesh can look good. The Pharisees prove that to us. But here's the thing. Self-reliance sends you straight to hell. And it's a living hell until you die. Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2 says that the passions of the flesh wage war against our souls. But that's not uh, soft language, is it? The passions, the desires of the flesh, the passions of the flesh wage war against our souls. Even the way many believers deal with our sin shows that we are leaning on the flesh. Um, I know you've probably all had this experience. I call it the cycle of insanity, whereby you experience temptation and you give into it and you fail and you feel really bad because you failed again and God must hate me because I failed again. So God, I promise I will never do that again. And I'm going to try very, very hard to be very, very good And so I do that, and for a few hours or weeks or months, it's going great, and I feel great about myself, and God must really love me now because look what I'm doing. And then temptation comes again, and you fail again, and you feel bad again, and you make a promise again. How many have been there? Yeah. 
okay? Those who raise their hands and liars. So I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Kidding. Too early in the new year to joke with you. Good grief. All right. So we get on that cycle of insanity where we trip, we fall. We, rather than run to our Father who loves us and cares for us, we're going to fix up the scrapes ourselves and come back and present ourselves clean and dressed up for him. And God hates that. It is, it is showing that you are in the flesh. I am going to prove to God that I am worthy of acceptance. Except you can't. And so either what happens is we grow weary of that cycle and we just give up and give ourselves over to our sin or we kind of pretend like it doesn't exist and we cover it really, really well and we do a lot of good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff because we think there's like this scale and like our bad stuff's over here and our good stuff's over here and maybe we can make it balance out and the reality is all of us are over here and only Jesus is over here. So he says here, those who live according to the flesh. What does that mean? Uh, it means down from, according to is down from. The, the picture that came to my mind was downstream from, all right? So I know many of us uh, in the summertime uh, like to go like tubing or floating on the river, right? Go to French Broad or whatever. And I'm not talking about rafting, I'm talking about floating, all right? So just bring you a, a sixer of whatever and uh, your tube and your float and you just kind of get in the water and you go wherever the water takes you. And you know, if you've ever gone tubing or floating, you are going according to the current. So if it's a slow current, you're going to be out there for a day, right? If it's a quick current, you'll get there faster. If, if, uh, you know, if the current drives, drives you to the bank, that's where you're going. You just can't help it, right? You are, you are according to, you are following um, the stream, okay? So, uh, then, those who live according to the flesh or the spirit set their minds on the flesh or the spirit. What does that mean? Uh, it, it means a pattern of thinking. So, so this makes sense, right? If you live according to the flesh, you are going to focus your heart and mind on the things of the flesh. If you set your mind on the spirit, you're going to focus your heart and mind on the things of the spirit. So living according to the flesh means that you are concerned with what the flesh desires. You set your mind on what the flesh desires. Those fleeting, material things of the world. Okay, I know it's January 2nd. I got to step on some toes. This means, even as believers, I know that I am justified and I have nothing to prove to anyone because I am accepted by God, but I'm really concerned about how many likes I get on social media. And if I don't get enough, man, no one likes me, right? Or I really want to please my coworkers. If I, don't, if I have a coworker who doesn't seem to like me, it tears me up because I need to be liked. I know that in Christ, I am as secure as I could ever be, that everything that I need will be provided for me by a God who loves me, but I cannot sleep at night unless my savings account has a certain balance in it. I know that I am free in Christ, freer than anyone could ever be free. I am free in Christ, but they are ruining our country with their politics. And they're taking away our freedoms, and we got to fight back. I know that God is sovereign, 
And everything that comes my way is filtered through his loving and sovereign hand. But I haven't left my house in 22 months because I'm concerned I might get sick. I know that I am loved by God and it doesn't matter if I'm loved by anyone else on this planet. I am loved by the king of the universe. But if I don't find someone to date, my life is over. Living according to the flesh. It's drifting. And it's death. And it produces in us anxiety and anger and restlessness and this gnawing feeling that we are not enough. but our minds are only focused on the things of the flesh. And so we think if I just get more of approval or acceptance or stuff or money or fight the right battles in politics, then my life will be better. And it only produces in you more anxiety and anger and restlessness in this gnawing feeling that you are not enough. You know why? Because you're not enough. But living according to the Spirit means that you are concerned with what the Spirit desires. What does the Spirit desire? Jesus said in John 14, I believe it is, when the Spirit comes, he will glorify me. In other words, the Spirit focuses our souls on Jesus, on seeing Jesus, on hearing from Jesus through his word, on on knowing Jesus. And as the old hymn says, um, when our eyes are turned upon Jesus, the things of earth grow strangely dim. And the Bible says that when, our, when we are living according to the Spirit and our minds are set on the things of the Spirit, it is life and peace. And who doesn't want that? So we drift because there's this battle going on within us. And too often, the flesh is winning. Okay, so you say, okay, I, I hear that. i processing it. Um, how does then, how does the Spirit help people like us? who cannot seem to get their act together and who tend to shrink the grace of God. How does the Spirit actually help us? Uh, and that's what we're going to look at next. You guys with me? It got quieter than last time. How does the Spirit actually help us? Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, this, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 
All right, so how does the Spirit help us? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, whose role, by the way, is to magnify Jesus. Not like a microscope that takes little bitty things and makes them larger, but like a telescope that takes massive things and brings them into full frame. The Holy Spirit's job, who is to magnify Jesus, lives inside of us and changes our desires. Have you ever paused to think that through? The Holy Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, dwells, lives, has taken up permanent residence inside of you. And you, and you, and you, and probably you, I'm just kidding, and you, all of us who are followers of Christ, What on earth is the Holy Spirit experiencing inside of me? Because everywhere I go, he goes. Everything I do, he's with me. Everything I see, he sees. And that realization that the Holy Spirit has taken up permanent residence inside of each believer, it ought to change things. So, so verse 9 leads us to some great questions. Does the Spirit dwell in me? Do I belong to Jesus? And most of us would say, yeah, <laughs> I think so. I mean, how do we really know? Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we just sort of flutter about in sinless perfection you know, dwelling on the things of God 24-7 because we have been, you know, brought into some other realm. No, it doesn't mean that at all. What, what does it mean? It does mean that at the core of our being, we now want to please God. Or at least we want to want to. <laughs> Why? Because we belong to him. Because I know that I am not my own. I was bought with a price. And the Bible tells us right here in verse 9 that in Christ, our natural state now is not in the flesh, but it's in the Spirit. That's your starting point in Christ. You are already in the Spirit. There has been an address change from flesh to Spirit. That doesn't mean that we don't go visit Spirit. I mean, flesh doesn't mean we don't just kind of come over here and hang out with flesh for a while, but it means our, our, our starting point in Christ is in the Spirit. So let me ask you this. If that's true, and the Bible says it is, so I believe it, do you want God's glory more, or does the Holy Spirit? Class? The Holy Spirit. Okay. So if the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and he wants the glory of God more than you do, why not listen to him? <laughs> why not surrender to him, to his desires? Move out of the way and let the Spirit do what the Spirit is going to do in and through you. Oh, but there's this battle inside of us. 
there's this battle. We're back to Romans chapter 7, right? I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I want to do. I, 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 do, I do bad things I shouldn't. I don't do good things I should. What is wrong with me? What, how do I, you know, what is going on? This struggle. When we drift, and we will, we feel conviction from the Holy Spirit. And that is the mercy of God to us but we do not feel condemnation, not from him. If you are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. So if you fail and you feel condemnation, that is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. There cannot be condemnation from God because all of it fell on Jesus. Do you know the whole point of being a Christian is that you may know the love of God for you. And I mean the real you, the unholy, cannot get your act together you. And the Lord speaks his love to us and he reminds us of his sacrifice for us and he shows us his acceptance for us and he gives his endless encouragement to us and his comfort to us by his spirit. Have you noticed so far in Romans 8, and I will tell you it's true for the rest of Romans 8, there is not one single command in all of Romans chapter 8. Why? Because the normal Christian life is not you living for God. It is God living through you. And it is so much more fruitful and satisfying than the normal that you and I have settled for. And you and I who are just weak sinners can rely on and draw on the power of the Holy Spirit moment by moment. And he loves to help us. You say, how then? How do we receive this help, this power of the Holy Spirit? And it's really simple. You know what you do? Ask him. In uh, Luke chapter 11, Jesus is talking and uh, he, says, he says, you know, if your kid asks you for a piece of bread, you're not going to give him a snake. <laughs> be like, ha ha, gotcha, right? You're not going to give them a stone. You're not going to, like, you wouldn't do that because you love your children. And he says, even though you're wicked, you know how to give good gifts. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's just about saying, God, I need you. I need your Spirit to do what only you can do in my life, through my life. I'm facing an impossible situation, and in my flesh, I cannot fix it. I need your spirit. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, love the spirit, worship the spirit, trust the spirit, obey the spirit, and as a church, cry mightily to the spirit. Beseech him to let his mighty power be known and felt among us. What would that be like to step into 2022 as a church beseeching? I don't even know what that means, but I think it's ask. Asking the Holy Spirit to come and 
Let his mighty power be known and felt among us. So the, and it really is that simple. Asking the Holy Spirit to empower you, to enable you, to bring you the comfort and the strength that you do not have on your own, that he is called to provide, to help you see Jesus more clearly, to help you love him more deeply, to help you fight your temptation and sin. And he, he, Jesus calls him the helper. <laughs> he loves to help. And so I believe that the truest measure of our growth spiritually is not so much our behavior as much as it is our decision to depend upon the Holy Spirit. That we finally get to a place where we realize that this cycle of insanity that is the flesh does not work. And that the only thing that will work is trusting the Spirit, depending on the Spirit, asking the Spirit to do what only He can do in and through us for His glory and for our good. Amen? So let, let us be a people who walk into this new year according to the Spirit. So I've got a few questions I want to throw up on the screens for us before we move to communion. And guys, so much, could be, so much more could be said about this, but you don't have four hours, and neither do I. Um, but for those of you who are in community groups and might be starting back this week, I really want you to talk this through, right? What does dependence on the Spirit look like in your life? What can it look like? I would avoid the should. What should don't, we don't talk in shoulds and oughts because that's not the gospel, right? Uh, we know what we should do and we don't. So how do we trust the Spirit in order to do uh, what He calls us to do? But talk this through. What could it look like to go into this new year depending on the Spirit individually and together? What is the Spirit saying to you? Um, the, 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 and I've said this before, but I'll say it again. The number one indicator of spiritual growth in your life is regular intake of Scripture, which, by the way, the Holy Spirit wrote. <laughs> so you want to know what the Holy Spirit wants you to do? Read His words, okay? So as I depend on the Spirit, as I read the Word, as I entrench myself in the things of God, um, do I need accountability? Do I need encouragement? How can we help each other uh, move, fall forward into the grace of God more and more in 2022. Okay, here's my questions. Number one, does the Spirit dwell in me? And how do I know? Asheville is kind of the hole in the Bible belt. However, a lot of you grew up in the South, and it's really easy to be a churchgoer in the South who does not have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. And so I think it's a good diagnostic for us from time to time to say, am I sensing the presence of God's Spirit? How do I know the Spirit dwells inside of me, right? What's the evidence of God's Spirit uh, in my heart, in my life? So does the Spirit, if he doesn't, today's a good day. And listen, you might be hearing all this and go, I don't believe a word of this stuff. Okay. Why don't you talk to God about that? Tell him, tell him you don't believe. Tell him, if he'll, if he'll make it real to you, you'll believe it. And guess what? He'll do it. Does the Spirit dwell in me? Second, how have I sensed myself drifting in my relationship with God? 
Now, the thing about drifting is, it's, it's usually not a huge shift away, is it? Right? Drifting, you ever been on the beach, like you're out in the water, and you're just, you think you're walking straight, and you look back, and you're like a quarter mile down the beach from where you started? Okay? One degree in the wrong direction over the course of time takes you very far away. So this isn't like, oh, you know, I had never tried meth, and then I just jumped in, right? This is not necessarily that, although if it's that, let's talk. But I just, you know, the, the sense of God's presence has waned. Um, my excitement for his word has sort of cooled. My compassion for other people has hardened. Um, so so where, where have I sensed over maybe the course of this last year, month, whatever, I've just I've drifted. Third, where do I need the help of the Spirit most right now? Maybe it's a sin issue. Maybe you're, you're just really down. You need His comfort. Maybe you're discouraged and you need the encouragement of God's Spirit. Maybe um, you're up against something that you know because you've tried. In your flesh, it's not going to get fixed. Where do I need the help of the Spirit most? And then last, what is keeping me from depending on the Holy Spirit? Is it my pride? Is it my unbelief? Um, Am I just unsure He's going to come through for me? What is keeping me from depending on the Spirit and and sort of keeping me stuck in self-reliance and in the flesh. All right, so I'm going to leave these questions up. You can take a picture of the screen, write them down if you want to. Uh, We're going to move into communion in just a moment. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ, you know the Spirit dwells within you, or at least you're pretty sure He does. Uh, There's evidence of that, and and you, you, at the deepest part of you, you want to please God, or at least you want to want to. Uh, You can come to these tables uh, all the crackers on the black plates are gluten-free, so just know that. Uh, if you have a gluten allergy, we don't, we're not doing a separate plate anymore. Um, and the rest of you don't need gluten. It's fine. So there's i I'm sorry. I don't want to make light of the Lord's table. Um, there's wine and there's juice, whatever your conscience allows. But I, I want you to come forward um, acknowledging your independence and declaring your dependence on God and his spirit and in gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. God did what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So you come to these tables, break the, uh, the bread's kind of broken already. You can dip into the juice or the wine. There are uh, rip and sips in the middle there if you still are COVID conscious and want to uh, take uh, a sealed cup. Uh, you can go back to your seat and eat that there. Uh, and then um, we're going to, the band's going to come back. We're going to sing a couple songs, and I'll get you out of here, okay? Let me pray, and then uh, we'll move into communion. Father, I thank you for your word. It is penetrating. It is encouraging. It is life-giving. And so I, I thank you for Romans 8, and uh, it is, there is so much more that could be plumbed out of that chapter, and yet 
uh, there was so much that you had to say to us today. I pray that something that has been said today would stick with us as we roll into this new year, um, that it wouldn't just be another New Year sermon and then back to our old patterns and habits, but um, that we would make a decision to depend on your Spirit. That when we wake up in the morning, we would say, Holy Spirit, I'm yours. Fill me, strengthen me, empower me for whatever I will face today. And when we lay our head on the pillow, we will say, Holy Spirit, thank you for your faithfulness to me today. Help us to live lives that glorify and exalt the Lord Jesus and be filled with joy because your spirit is present within us and in your presence is joy. So as we respond now in repentance and faith uh, through communion and giving and singing, would you be glorified? We love you. We thank you. We praise you in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit we pray. Amen.